0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Clining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through 5th grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers over by the Kid Zone sign.
1: Good morning. If you're new here, my name is Jared Huffman. I'm on staff here at Restoration Southside. I love to know you and want you to know me, so please do come by and say, hey, if we haven't met yet, if you're new-ish, you don't even have to be a first-timer, but if you're new-ish, we have a gift for you uh, over behind that curtain. That sounded really like magical. (laughs) There's a pony over there for each one of you. Uh, There's a journal for each one of you, so if you want to go by where, head that away, and you'll grab that after the service. But um, we're certainly glad that you're here. If you're looking for a place to worship, this is a great time to join us. We're only about two years into this thing, and um, it's been a weird two years, (laughs) but the Lord has taken care of us and grown us significantly, and um, what we're trying to be about here is the idea that it's okay that you're not okay. We're not... Uh, expecting that you walk through the door and you put yourself together and you have it all together. We're expecting that you're a mess because I'm the biggest mess in the room. We have things that we are doubting and struggling with. We have sin that we have not put to death in our lives. And when we have this sense we want to be with God's people, we want to draw near. But what goes through our heads is I'm terrified that... I'm the worst one there. I'm terrified that they'll see me for who I really am. And we just think it's sad that the the thing that we need most, which is God's nearness in our lives, we stay away from because we think we're not worthy of it. When the whole point of his nearness in our lives is even though we are not worthy of it. And so we're really trying to embody that here. So whatever you've got going on, this is a place for you. Whether you're, seasoned on your faith journey, whether you're brand new to it, this is the place for you. So I'm glad that you're here, and like I said, I'd love to get to know you personally. You may remember from last week we've been studying the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a beautiful book because it's sort of instructional on how to live a life that you were meant to live, but it's also difficult. It's it's hard to understand sometimes exactly what those that wrote Proverbs is saying, and so we sort of have to wrestle through it and and dig through it to, to see that. So today we're going to be in Proverbs 2. You can keep that open in front of you on your phones or in your Bibles. But here's what we're talking about today. We all want to live the life that we were meant to live, but it's just so hard to find it. As you start to look at your own story, you think, what am I doing and how did I get here? How is this my story? The Bible, in particular Proverbs, can help us make sense of our stories and empower us to live the way that we were meant to live. So let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord have mercy on me a sinner I thank you for those that you've called to be in this room. I pray that you'll encourage us we are not who we should be and yet you still pursue us I pray that you would rain down grace on us this morning that you would lift our spirits that you'd point our eyes afresh to Jesus for those who don't feel comfortable here I pray that you would cause them to feel loved and accepted It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I have a superpower that I want to tell you about. So I have this ability to hear my children cry from anywhere they're at in the house. Now listen, I know that sounds common, but here's here's what can happen. I'll put kids down. There'll be a noisemaker and a fan, and then a closed door, and then walk to the other side of my house an oven fan that we leave on to kind of drown out noise, and then a closed door to the playroom and the TV on. And if one of my kids starts crying, I'll be like, Babe, there's someone crying. And she'll be like, No, there's. And I'm right every time. I've tried to explain to her how this only works during the daytime, but she just doesn't get it. But I can hear. I am attuned to their voices, attuned to their voices. And what this passage is about, about how as people who want to live the lives that we're meant to, how we attune our ears to God's voice. How despite the noise and the chaos of everything that's going on outside of us, but friends also inside of us. How we attune our ears to hear God's voice to tell us which way to go. We hear the word wisdom and think that person's really smart. They have a lot of data. They have a lot of information. That's not what wisdom is in the Bible sense. Wisdom is knowing what's right and wrong and able to do what is right. It's the skill of godly living. It's the skill of following Jesus well. And so it's not just this body of information that you have to eventually learn all, learn all of it. It's instead the practice, the skill of godly living. Do you have the skill of godly living? Do you know where you can find it? Let's turn and attune our ears to hear God's voice. Look with me in verses 1 and then 5 and 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, and then in five and six you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom; from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So, how will you get it? With how will you get wisdom, not just data, but this skill in godly living, this knowing what to do and when to do it and how to do it from God Himself. It says He's the store, the source. The Lord gives wisdom. His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You see, we think that we can get wisdom by... Uh, walking through life and making enough mistakes that we learn from each one of them and slowly we become more wise or we can get wisdom by listening to the right things and reading the right things but the author here is basically saying if you want wisdom and by that he means a godly life a faithful life think of it this way the life that you were meant to live if you want to know how to live the life you were meant to live you have to encounter the living God You have to encounter the living god there's no other way to do it you cannot live what you were purposed for unless you encounter the living god several years ago we went on vacation to ithaca new york we were watching my brother-in-law graduate from cornell ever heard of it Uh, and while we were watching him graduate from cornell we went to go see the gorges waterfalls in the gorges of Ithaca, and it's incredible. It'll take your breath away. One of the waterfalls, Teganic Waterfall, was actually bigger, more powerful than Niagara, but over the years it's sort of wilted away. But I'm there and I'm standing at the bottom of this gorge, staring up at this insanely beautiful waterfall, and I've got my little phone out and I'm trying to capture the majesty through my phone. And instead, my sons are crawling all over the rocks and playing in the water and getting soaking wet. So I was trying to capture the experience in some contained, data-oriented way, and my sons were getting it. When you stand under a waterfall, that's when you experience it. It can't be seen on a video. It can't be captured by a picture. You have to stand in the water and feel the mist and listen to the roar. And that's what God is saying. You can't capture who God is for you and what He has purposed for your life by simply figuring out facts about Him. Reading books. You have to encounter the living God yourself. Stand underneath Him. And experience the awe and majesty. You can't be wise unless you engage him. There's no trick, there's no method, no silver bullet list of wisdom. Because that's how we'd like it. We'd like it to be like this and then this and then this. And then you will have the life you were purposed to have. And he says, no. If you want the life you were purposed to have, you have to engage with me you have to engage with me. That should do a a couple things for us as Christians, and hang in here with me. That should do a couple of things. The first thing that should do is give us humility and hesitance in giving other people wisdom. Humility and hesitance in giving other people wisdom. What I mean by that is when your friends and your parents and your kiddos, when the people in your small group, when, when people from work, Tell you about a problem in their life, it is so easy to go, I know exactly how to handle that. I had this friend once whose cousin did that, and I know exactly what you should do next. And what this is saying is that if wisdom ultimately comes from the source of the character of God Himself and can only be encountered by Him, then we should be hesitant to throw wisdom around. It's not ours to give. So when you hear someone struggling in their marriage about how it's lifeless and and you don't know what to do anymore and you're about to speak, take a breath and pray and say, God, I only want to share your wisdom because you're the source. Or when you are talking with a group of friends and saying, I just don't know how long I'm going to struggle with pornography. Am I ever going to make any progress in this? And you're about to speak into it. Take a breath and breathe and pray. And say, God, I need your wisdom. You're the one who is wise. The problem is, is that Christians have figured out that there's a lot of good stuff in the Bible. And so we've been walking around hitting people over the head with it for generations. And so when people think about Christians and what good they are to the world, they think those are the people who are know-it-alls and have it all together. Because if a problem comes up, we know how to hit it. We know what we would say if it was us. And Part of living wisely is living a life that is restrained and humble. You communicate with your very presence that I'm connected to God and He knows the way, but I don't. And I'll pray with you and I'll sit with you and I'll be present with you. But I ain't nothing special. That's what it should do to us. The unbelieving world, those that don't know God, they don't feel safe around Christians because Christians will tell them what their problem is and tell them how bad they are for having it. The irony being, if you've encountered the living God, you yourselves know how sinful you are and how hard it is to fight that sin. You know that it's not easy to wrestle with sin. You know that it's not easy to put bad habits to death. You know that it's not easy to start good habits. So why would we tell people who don't know God simply and, and, and shamefully about how just simple it is? Why would we do that? Part of being wise is knowing that we don't have the corner of the market on wisdom God does, and so we're gentle with those around us. The other thing I want you to see out of this is that we, we seem to think if I can get far enough down the road of Christianity, I'll need God's wisdom a little less. If I, if I can just get a little bit further down, a little bit farther there, then I'll need wisdom less. And honestly, those who are growing in grace have a growing need of wisdom, growing dependence upon God. You're not going to get it. There's too much to get in a God like ours. You're going to continue to need to go back to the source. If you yourself are in this room and you don't know what you think about God, I'm so glad that you're here. I encourage you to just go stand under the waterfall. Just go stand under the waterfall and say, I'm here and I don't know what to think about you, and I'm not even sure what I'm doing, but I'm drawing near. Please draw near to me. I dare you to, to stand under a waterfall, to stand under God's grace and say, I don't know what I'm doing here, but my eyes are on you. And there's some of you Christians, those who do know and do trust, who need to be in awe of God again. It feels like some distant thing that happened at camp when you were in high school, or maybe your college leader that's when you had this near-to-God experience, and since then it's just all kind of been dried up. And it's because we have shrunk God down to a set of principles when He's a living person. Go stand under the waterfall. Feel the mist and the power and the glory of a God who loves you. Wisdom can only be found in God Himself. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Well, there's specific ways that you can draw near to God. He is the source of all wisdom, but it mentions where you can find him. Right in verse one, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. He's talking about as the Bible, or at least the Bible up until that point in history. He's saying you can look at the Bible, study the Bible and learn who God is. It should give us a colossally high view of the Bible. But I want to pause there because as soon as I said Bible and as soon as I said that the Bible is helpful for you to know and experience God, all of you felt guilty. Guilty. I know it's good for me. I just can't seem to care about it. One of my pastor friends says it's like broccoli from the sky. It's good for me. I just don't like how it tastes. And I want to clarify a couple of things. The first thing is is that wisdom from God, an encounter with the living God, isn't about tacking him on to the first 15 minutes of your day. The evangelical devotion, the evangelical quiet time has gone askew. And here's why. There wasn't a printing press until the 1500s. If God's people couldn't live the lives they were purposed for without a book for 1,500 years, are we to assume that they just couldn't be godly back then? They had to wait for the printing press so that they could be godly. No, friends. The way to encounter the living God was through corporate worship, meaning people would gather, people who couldn't read in certain languages, People would gather to sing and to pray and to hear the preached word and to embrace the sacraments because that was the way to know God. That was the way to know God. Now catch the sad irony of that. Our generation thinks it's super impossible, super important that you do your 15 minute devotion and if you do that, that's really the measure of who you are before God. Ironically, if you get to church, great. If you don't, no worries. No big deal. Corporate worship is how we were intended to experience the power and beauty of God. Now, are devotions a good thing? Yes. Now, the printing press does exist. And our iPhones have the Bible in them. You can listen to the Bible. You can read the Bible. Is having a devotion a good thing? Of course. But we've just flipped the priority of corporate worship and the modern evangelical devotion. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We have to encounter God through the Bible, primarily through corporate worship. If you want to listen to the Bible, read it, do devotions, you should, and I encourage you to. But do not let your entire Christian life be based upon whether or not you got to tack God onto the first 15 minutes of your day. God does not want to be tacked onto the first 15 minutes of your day. He wants you to tack your entire story onto Him. So that the way that you eat and drink and talk and feel and speak, all of it is devotion towards God. It shrinks down a godly life by saying whether or not I got to my devos. He's not asking for 15 minutes. He's asking for every minute that you've got. And if that's the case, then you go, whoa, I need help. Bingo. That's how you're supposed to feel. And I don't want you to feel guilty about the Bible thing, because listen to this. The Bible is not a litmus test of your faithfulness to God. The Bible is not a litmus test of your faithfulness to God. It's a powerful description of His faithfulness to you. It's a powerful description of His faithfulness to you. Immerse yourself in the story because you can, because you get to, because it's powerful, because it's deep, because it's beautiful. Not because you have to. So we grow from encountering God like a waterfall. We grow from encountering God in corporate worship and in other supplementary ways like devotions. And then we encounter him through spiritual mentors. Look at verse one. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. There's this relational aspect. It's father-son here passing down from Solomon to another, to another. And the reason I want you to see that is is that that is the way that we grow. If you are trying to intuit the purpose of your life on your own, you're not going to find it out. If you are trying to live a more godly, balanced life, skilled life and you're trying to do it on your own, it's not going to happen. I bet if I were to ask all those who trust in Jesus in, their, in this room, the most meaningful time of their spiritual walk, the, most, the time where they got it the most and they were the most excited, I bet you could trace it back to a single person, a young life leader, a youth group leader, an experience at camp with a really good person that you spent time with, A counselor. These things are passed on to us through relationships. That's how God designed it. So we grow in God by experiencing God through the corporate worship and through finding Him in our Bibles. We also grow in God by having other people who love God, who have walked down this path, show us the way. And some of you are terrified to ask for help. You think that if... I show you what's in my heart. You will turn away. You can't look at me. You'll never think the same way of me again. And I get that. Christians have earned that sad reputation. But I promise you if, you, if you do the sniff test, and you can see someone who's really godly, and you share with them the depths of the depravity of your heart, they will look at you and go, Oh, I know just what you mean. And either I've struggled with that before, or I could have struggled with that before, and I've struggled with other things. I know what it's like to disobey. I know what it's like to choose my will instead of God's. I know what it's like to love myself more than I love anyone else. I know what it's like to be addicted. A real godly person is going to put you at ease, not that it's okay that you're not okay, but they're going to put you at ease that you're not alone in the experience of being a sinner. That there's help and hope that someone can walk with you and guide you. If you need a mentor or someone to walk with you, reach out to me and I will either do it myself or point you to one of our gifted staff members or lay leaders. But that's the way to grow. It's in relationship with others. Encountering God corporate worship and reading our Bibles and through relationship of others. There is no such thing as spiritual growth outside the context of others. Let me say that again so you'll know I didn't misspeak. There is no such thing as spiritual growth outside the context of others. And what will it look like? What will it look like when you know that you're growing? Look at verse 5. And then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you seek wisdom, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, I know when you see fear there, it's it's disconnected. You think terror. You think um, you have to be afraid. If you learn enough about God, you have to be afraid. But that's not what fear meant there. Fear meant awe and reverence. So let me take you back to where we understand how that means on reverence, just so you think that I won't, I'm not making it up. The idea is that when the people were leaving Egypt, they'd been in slavery for 400 years. They're leaving Egypt in the Old Testament with the Exodus. And Pharaoh has let them go and then changed his mind and said, I'm going to send the most powerful army in the world after you. And so the people of God are running out of the place. And they encounter this body of water that they cannot get through. They cannot take all the people with them. And they hear the hooves and the swords and the shields and the chariots clinging and clanging as they're getting closer and closer. And then Moses stands and holds up his staff. And the body of water opens wide enough for all of God's people to come in. It stacks up. It takes The whole night through to stack up a body of water. And then Moses leads God's people through it. And then turns around and the army's just about to follow him through. And Moses puts down his arms and the waters crash and destroy the greatest army at that point in history. And God's people are standing there like, whoa. Look what our God can do. That's what fear is. It's this awe. And you may not have the experience where you, you have seen God crash down water on soldiers. But for us, it's even better than that. We stand in awe and say, look at our God who left the throne room of heaven and humbled Himself. And He was mocked and misunderstood. And then He was beaten and tortured and killed. And He was killed having done nothing wrong so that He could take all of our wrongs on His back. And even with his dying breath, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he dies. The hero of the story dies. And then three days later, he conquers death and says, now you get to all come live with me forever. Our only response to that is, whoa, I will follow you wherever you call me to follow you because no one has loved me like this. No one has pursued me like this. That's the sense. You don't follow God because you have to. You follow God because you get to. You don't read your Bible because you have to. You read your Bible because you get to. It's immersing yourself in a story that has a hero and he's your hero. Growing in wisdom has nothing to do with a data transfer. It has everything to do with falling in love with the God who has shown his love for you. Think of all the reasons that you want godliness and wisdom. For most of us, it's just so that we can feel better. It's so that we don't have to keep hating ourselves. If we just get a little better, then I won't feel so bad about myself, or at least I'll feel a little bit better than others. Some of us follow God to be get noticed by others. But when you're in awe of who God is and what He has done, You want to go stand under the waterfall. You want to learn everything you can. You want to live like he's called you to live so that you can be a blessing to others. We'll say this and then we'll close. Often, when we do grow in wisdom, we do grow in godly living, putting to bed old habits and starting new good habits, there's something that we do which is unfortunate, which is we start to distance ourselves from, in quotes, bad influences. We can't get too close to those worldly folks anymore because we've gotten a certain amount of wisdom to us. Now, of course, we have to be wise in how we steward some of those relationships and some of those dynamics, but Jesus, who is all wisdom, constantly moved towards the ones who were shady and messed up and broken. And he did it in such a way as that they felt loved and safe and accepted instead of shamed. They wanted to be around him. They said he was the one that ate and drank with sinners. It wouldn't have been a lot of fun to be around somebody who made you feel shamed and horrible and ugly. But his his presence, his wisdom drove him towards people who needed help Our influence in this world cannot be one that shakes our finger at the world and is constantly talking about how bad they are. Wisdom should come from us asking God to transform our lives and then use us to bless others. That's where we failed. That's where we failed as a church. Not just here, but all churches you see that irony? The people who need help the most won't come to the place where help is most profound because they think they're not good enough. The people who need the help the most won't come to the place where help is found most powerfully because they think they're not good enough. Friends, we should be out there begging our friends and co-workers and family members to come, not because we have it together, but because we've found the waterfall worth standing under. That's what I want this place to be. That we're dependent on God the longer we've known Him, more and more, not less and less dependent on Him. That we go after those who don't believe what we believe all the more because we know what it's like to be Unbelievers, we know what it's like. Friends, what I hope that we will learn is that wisdom, wisdom, this skill in godly living, it's not just data, is encountered by standing under the waterfall of who God is, what He's done for us. Encountering it through corporate worship and devotionals. Encountering it through mentors and people who will walk alongside of us. And that then we can grow enough to go and help and encourage and be wise for the sake of others. When you have an experience like standing under the waterfall, you just want to go tell other people alongside of us, And that then we can grow enough to go and help and encourage and be wise for the sake of others. When you have an experience like standing under the waterfall, you just want to go tell other people.